This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. What's up, guys? This is Uriah Young along with Christopher Klein. This is the Sixer Sense Podcast, where we talk Sixers, all Sixers, and nothing but the Sixers. However, however, with the tragedy that recently happened in Texas, we want to offer our condolences to the families that were directly impacted and even those young people and teachers who witnessed the event and survived. We know that they're going to be impacted for a very long time. Uh, Really sad day. And the discourse in America is... It's been it's been nonstop, even on ESPN first take. Stephen A. obviously has something to say. Kendrick Perkins. There was another uh, host on ESPN, Chris, that really went off on a tirade. He was dropping names from senators and both parties. It was pretty intense. But um, anything you want to say about it, Chris? Yeah, um, I don't have anything particularly revelatory to add to the discourse. As you said, it's been going on quite you know all over the place but obviously this is like the third mass shooting in a week and we're the only country that really has this problem so there's 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 a reason for that we need to keep pushing our lawmakers to change that and i would recommend that everyone who can you know make an effort to do that put pressure on your local senators representatives etc to bring about the change that is necessary yeah it's just really upsetting really sad that this keeps happening in america all over the place this is not the first mass shooting in texas and you know something needs to change so hopefully hopefully we can start moving in that direction i'm glad that you mentioned that people should start being more active communicating with their public officials uh, it was Steve Kerr. I don't know if you saw his press conference yesterday. Mm-hmm. He mentioned H.R. 8, which is a bill that was passed in the House. Uh, but for whatever reason, it hasn't moved to the Senate. And it's basically for gun legislation, bipartisan background checks. I think that it's not too much to ask to put something like this in place. But I c- actually called uh, my senator today and left a message urging him to support that bill so that change would happen. It's, it's Everybody's like, oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Well, how about policy and change? How about that one? Because uh, as positive as I try to be in situations, this, <laughs> this ain't going away unless something is, is done. And I was in a, a Twitter space yesterday and I was talking to these young younger people. They were like really, really frustrated. And I guess the elder spokesman in the room, I said, look, some of the toughest problems require like really creative solutions. So and our only limitation is our imaginations and our willingness to to, you know, put aside our pride and in, in any political aspirations and, and get stuff done. So hopefully this can um you know, this this can be like a, a catalyst. I, I thought it would change after what happened in Sandy Hook, but you know, clearly nothing changed. But but yeah, we're uh you know, we're gonna move on to basketball now and and um you know try to get Sixers fans back into the mood of uh thinking about our team, yeah, even though there's not much to be happy about watching all these teams continue in the playoffs, but Let's talk about Joel Embiid, Chris, making all second team or all NBA second team. Let's talk about it. Um, (laughs) As you mentioned, Joel made second team all NBA. He also finished second in MVP voting. So there's obviously a bit of a disconnect there. I, I struggle to put it all on the voters personally. I think it's more how those ballots are set up. Do you think, Uriah, that he should have been first-team All-NBA? Absolutely. No question. I'm looking at the players who made it 
first team, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. As much as I've argued that Jokic did not deserve MVP, I do think he should be on first team. Look, Embiid was runner-up for MVP, and he carried the team even before Harden got here in the midst of all the Ben Simmons drama. But yet Jason Tatum gets it over Embiid. It makes me wonder if there's some type of conspiracy, but we'll we'll get to that in a minute. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. And, like, I've obviously been someone who advocated for Jokic winning MVP. I think he's deserving of being on first team, like you said. But we've evolved to a point in basketball history where we can have positionless All-NBA teams. I think, like, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are definitely centers. They're definitely bigs. That's their position. But their skill sets go way beyond what someone would traditionally think of as a center. And there's no reason why we can't just award the 15 best players regardless of position in these cases, especially when they have bearing on contracts and stuff like that. So Joel has finished, again, second in MVP twice in a row now. In both times, he's been second team All-NBA. That just doesn't make sense. I don't know why we keep doing it like that that's something the NBA could change pretty quickly with relative ease I don't think the players would have an issue with it Jason Tatum argued for it himself and he's probably the guy who would be knocked off of first team if we were to bump Joel up there so I don't see why we keep doing this every year it's it it doesn't make any sense to me I, I definitely think both Joel and Jokic should have been on first team Uriah but Looking at the rest of the teams, you mentioned the first team names. Steph Curry, John Morant, DeMar DeRozan, and Kevin Durant were the four who joined Joel on All-NBA second team. And then All-NBA third team was Chris Paul, Trey Young, LeBron James, Pascal Siakam, and Carl Anthony Towns. Do you agree with those other placements? Would you shift some around? Is there anyone on third team or even second team that you would bump off entirely? What are your thoughts there? I'm looking at Devin Booker. And I think he's a lethal scorer. But I think John Morant, looking at what he did this season, looking at how he basically took his team, his young team, to heights that no one in the NBA and even some fans, I'm sure Memphis fans are probably like, yeah, we knew where they were going to make it. But yeah, let's be real. The only reason why I say that is because Look who Devin Booker has on this team. He has an amazing cast of players with experience, veterans like CP3, amazing leader. So it's kind of you kind of expect Devin mm-hmm. Booker to thrive with a point guard like that, where Ja just came out of nowhere and really carried that team. So I think him yeah. being up there instead of Book, Tatum obviously I think should be second team while Embiid is up there. I think Luca belongs where he is. Only other player I think anywhere. And I don't know if you could bump out Siakam, but I think DeJounte Murray had an amazing season. He almost averaged a triple-double. Other than that, that's I think everything else is fine. Yeah, I, I think the counter-argument to your point on draw is that he missed a lot more time than Booker did, and his mm-hmm. team was like 20-5 and five without him. So you're yeah, talking about one of the true. deepest teams in the league. I, I think he had quite a bit of help himself, not – there's obviously a very credible argument for drawing first team. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's necessarily a fair argument, but I, I think it's a two way street there. I, I, Devin Booker was the best player on the, or the healthiest best player on the best team. So I, I, I I'm fine with him on first team. I think he's a better player than John Morant personally, just a shade better. So I, I'm fine with that. If anything, I think Steph like statistically really stacks up well with Booker and mm-hmm. could have had an argument because he's Steph Curry. He's one of the best hmm. point guards we've ever seen. But I had Booker on my first team. I, I think that's a pretty fair assessment of his season. Um, and yeah, I don't really have much of an issue. I didn't have LeBron when I did my fake ballot for the site. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the numbers are there. His team just sucked, and that's not entirely on him. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I don't I don't have any big arguments. I'm a fan of Siakam getting the vote. Wait, it is kind of it kind of is on LeBron, Chris, or should I say, lay GM? Yeah, well, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Kyrie Irving even yeah, gave him that. Nickname. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not mad at LeBron being there. Obviously, I, I I thought Siakam was deserving. I had Jimmy Butler over Siakam personally, but mm-hmm. 
again, I'm, I'm not going to complain. So, yeah, I, I don't have anything else to add to that. Do you? I, I want to say this about the voting system and probably a very good reason why Jason Tatum made it. I think there are, I'm looking at the, the voting ballot, uh, the voting ballots and the selections, the, all the media members, the affiliations that they have and the, I guess the city where their hub is for their, their sites and things of that nature. But I think six, it's either four or six. I'm not going to sit here and go through every name, but there are quite a few uh, voters from the ringer, which is like a Boston based uh, media outlet. And there's a lot of Jokic's for center. And then they're dropping Jason Tatum for forward. When we know that Joel Embiid is a much better player than Tatum defensively and offensively. So I I think that the voting system is flawed. I think they need to have uh, former players like top 75 players in there. But yeah, that, I mean, again, my... I, I think that's just positional, though. Like, a lot of people are dead set on Joel as a center, and I'm not going to vote for him as a forward. And that's why he got more first-place votes, more total votes than Tatum. Like, he, he should have been first team if we're just going strictly off of votes. But because most of his votes were at center or split between center and forward, he, he's qualified as a center. So he just can't be in one of those forward spots, even though he was eligible at forward because most of his votes came at center, but, but he had more votes than Tatum. And I, I think a lot of those ringer guys, if it was positionless would have put and beat on first team without any hesitation. Like it would have been 100 out of 100 voters would have uh, been in the top five players this season. I'm not that certain on that. And, and if we're talking MVP ballad, right? If MVP is the five best players from a season, Embiid mm-hmm. was on all 100 of those ballots. Right. If we make All-NBA the top 15 players and All-NBA first team is the top five players, then that should be the same as the top five MVP vote-getters. So I, I think Embiid would have been on those teams if we weren't taking position into account. Because, again, he got more votes than Tatum. It's well, just the stupid center thing that keeps him behind Jokic. But, well, if we're being purists when it comes to positions... How can Chris Paul and Trey Young, who are both point guards, make the all third NBA team? It should be a shooting guard, right? Does it matter? Yeah. They're both I mean, point guards. I yeah, I agree. And I mean those two would struggle to play together defensively. I, I think <laughs> if you put Joel and Jokic on the same team, that'd be a pretty good team, you know. So Yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely a flaw in, I, I think, how they are qualifying positions more than who's voting. Like, like just make it the best players. I, I don't see why we need positions at this point. I don't think it really helps anything, but I guess it is what it is for now. <laughs> all right, Chris, we're done talking about all NBA teams. Now let's talk about the Sixers specifically. I know they went out on a whimper. They got embarrassed on their home court in game six against the Miami Heat. Despite everything that happened with all the drama and the injuries and COVID, the Sixers ended the season with a 51-31 and record. They ended up fourth in the Eastern Conference. Despite all of the drama, they still came out pretty good. But they lost in the second round again. So, Chris, let's give uh, let's give these fans out here some type of hope for next season. Are there any positive takeaways from the previous season to make us feel good this summer? Yeah, um, there are several. I, I again, the Sixers lost in the second round, and I think the overwhelming culprit there is the fact that Joel got hurt. It wasn't a healthy team, and I think that has to be taken into account. Um, the most obvious positive is the fact that Joel Embiid took his game to yet another level and was at worst the top three MVP candidate and one of the three best players in the NBA last season. He has improved in so many prior areas of weakness. He is handling double teams better. He's making more plays for teammates. He is scoring more dominantly in the post. He still has his jumper going down and obviously he's an all-world defender as well. Um, I, I mean, anytime you have one of the three, four, five best players on the face of the earth, 
your team's in a pretty good spot. And Joel has proven that he's going to be on that level consistently as long as he's healthy. And that he, you know, you need a guy like that to contend for a championship. And the Sixers have one. And that's where it starts. So that, for me, would be the obvious big positive takeaway from last season. Well, you go with Embiid. I will go with Maxi to see a guy in his second season really leap the way he did and come out and become one of the most impressive players uh, at the guard position. You saw him in the playoffs shine so many different times. It was, I don't know, so proud to see him out there and, and to know that he's also one of the most likable players. You never see this guy not smiling, uh, positive attitude, uh, very willing to learn from the coaches and and fit in and and try to be a leader. It was one point where he um you know he was taking the reins before Harden got in here. There was one play last last year, I think it was after the All Star break. No, it was before the All Star break where Maxi was bringing the ball up, and Bede kind of came to the ball and he he waved and beat off, and he drove right and he made a crisp pass to the corner to Tobias. And Tobias pulled up and just nailed the three. And I was like, wow, this kid has really grown in just one season. So to know that he made that leap this season, just imagine what he's going to do next year. So I, that's something positive for me to look forward to. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the fact that Embiid is who he is and the fact that you have Maxi, who's 21, who's still going to get better. That's that in and of itself. Those two alone are reasons to be pretty confident in what Philly can accomplish next season. Even if Doc Rivers stays, even if Harden continues to decline at the rate he's currently declining, even if Tobias doesn't quite reach the heights he did late in the season, like those two alone, plus the fact that Harden is still really good and Tobias is still quite impactful and beneficial to the team, like that, that alone, the Sixers have a, a core that is capable of contending. I don't think anyone could deny that. Do they need to build around that core better? Of course. But like the four-man group of Joel, James, Tyrese, and Tobias was probably the most potent offensive group in the NBA last season. And we say that every year with like whoever's around Joel is like the best lineup in the league. (laughs) And that's because it's Joel. But Sixers have a really good offense. And guys who starting offense, starting offense, yeah, a really good starting <laughs> offense. I, I re- like James Harden really helped the team. I know he fell flat in game six, but they got a lot better after James arrived. There's reason to be excited about that, even like on the margins, though the bench was not as good as it could have been. George Yang was a great find for the regular season, at least on a, a bargain deal contract. Shake had a bounce back seer of sorts. Paul Reed established himself as the backup center moving forward and gave the Sixers a real option behind Joel Embiid at the five. Like, that's all really positive stuff. Mm. And they won 51 games. They were tied for second place in the Eastern Conference despite making a big trade midseason, despite not having been for the first two-thirds of the year. They weathered quite a bit to get to that point. And they had the second-best record in the East, tied with Boston and Milwaukee only a couple games behind Miami for the one seed. Mm. That's really impressive. And it sucks to lose in the second round again. But Joel was hurt. And I I think there's plenty of reason for optimism around this team. I think Maury is a competent general manager. And, you know, Doc is who he is. But I I think there's every reason to expect that Philly could contend next year. I heard you say, and I guess it was maybe two or three podcasts prior about Harden in that you're not as in panic mode as some people are. I subscribe to that, Chris. I think James Harden, considering the hamstring injury, a guy coming into a brand new system, brand new team, never ever really playing with a a teammate like Joel Embiid ever in his career. He's always had guys to throw lobs to, right? Or he's always had tremendous wing players that can, you know, complement his game. So he – had to adjust i i personally think he kind of took a step back so that joel's numbers could maintain a high level to go for mvp i think he respected his his uh his ambition to win that award the playoffs that's a different story i have no clue why he stunk up the joint in that in some of those games but the overall concept that i hear you saying that i i 
feel is that Harden is going to come back and I think he'll have a good year next year. Yeah. I mean, at worst case scenario, Harden's one of the best passers in the NBA and a guy who makes Joel and Tyrese a whole lot better. And if Tyrese takes another step forward as a guy you can rely on, you know, rely on consistently to be that number two, three scoring option off the perimeter and Joel keeps doing what he's doing, you don't really need James to score a bunch of points to win games. So mm-hmm. it's really all upside as far as I'm concerned. Like even if he is who he was this past season, James is still going to help you a lot. And if you're healthier in the playoffs, you're going to have a real chance. Like I think Philly absolutely could have beaten Miami if they weren't down Joel for two games and he mm-hmm. didn't come back with three major injuries holding him back. Like yeah. Miami was a beatable team. Mm-hmm. And as good as Boston and Milwaukee are, they're also beatable teams. So the East is pretty wide open. Mm. The Nets seem to be kind of combusting before our eyes right now. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, they could absolutely make a run next year. It's possible. They're in a good spot. Yeah. So out of all the positives that you mentioned that came out of last season, which improvement, and you know, you can go with anybody on the team or the coach, <laughs> Uh, which improvement is most likely to carry over into next year? Um, well, I, I think it starts, again, with the two guys we've mentioned. I think Joel has established that he's a true top-tier star at this point. And I think Maxie's going to keep getting better because that guy just works harder than everyone else in the room. And, I mean, he took such a leap from year one where you could barely rely on him to play 16 minutes off the bench to year two being a borderline all-star by the time the players hold around. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this real quick. Do you think Embiid can get any better? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Okay. I I mean, he still has some turnover issues. He's not a perfect player. So, absolutely, I think Embiid could get better. I think Tyrese could get better. If Tobias can play like he did the last quarter of the season for a whole season, that's going to be really great, assuming he's still with the team. Um, so like those three guys improving the way that they did in critical moments is, is pretty promising. And I think there's reason to believe that those guys can all carry it over. So yeah, again, there's plenty of reason for optimism and there's been a lot of doom and gloom around the fan base after that loss and it hurts. I understand it, but again, I'm pretty comfortable with where the team's at. Honestly, I have a few bench players that I want to say is, they're going to improve next next season over the summer. I have a good feeling that Paul Reed is going to uh, add start, fifteen inches to his yeah vertical. yeah he, he's going to start jumping over the rim. <laughs> <laughs> so I like Paul Reed. I don't think there's anybody I've ever talked to that's a Sixers fan that does not like this mm-hmm. kid. He has the the motor. He has the ambition, and he has skill. The guy's not the best shooter. He, his shot is probably the ugliest on the team, but I think he's going to turn out. If Doc just gives him that role day one, even in training camp, hey, you were the backup five, I think that's going to benefit the team. And I know you don't want to hear this, and I know he hasn't given us much reason to really <laughs> bank on his jump shot, but Matisse Thibel, all-NBA defense second team, got to give it up to him. I think – I think he's going to look in the mirror and this summer he's going to figure it out. I think he's going to look back at this season. It's, 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 it's no such things as a loss. It's, it's all about lessons. And I think he's smart enough to, to say, you know what? I have to up my game. And if he doesn't, Chris, I'll give you this trade him next year. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I still believe in Bible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, as much as I've, written and talked about trading Thibel, you can't just give them away for nothing, especially with Danny being hurt. You just need someone who can play small forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll see with Thibel. I'm obviously not quite as optimistic as you, but I'm, I'm willing to wait and see. Uh, well, let me ask you this, and let's just do a quick numbers thing. How many points a game did Joel Embiid average last year? Almost 31. Right? Okay. How many points did James Harden average? It was around 22, I think. Right? Okay. Yeah. Tyrese Maxey. 17, 18. All right. And Tobias Harris. 
probably 17, 18 too. All right. I would have to guess. If all those guys are scoring that many points, why are we so fixated on Matisse Thibel scoring 10 points a game or nine points a game? Like, do we really I, I need him to be a scorer? I don't think it's a points per game thing, but he needs to make it to where the defense can't completely ignore him. You know, yeah. I, I mean, if he just needs to take and make threes, it's not, he doesn't have to score a bunch. He doesn't have to become some like potent isolation scorer, but mm-hmm. he needs to be able to hit threes that are open and uncontested to make the defense guard him. Right. And then he like needs to start developing some level of touch around the rim and, you know, he obviously can't dribble either. Like those are things he needs to improve. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they have plenty of offense with just those four guys. So Matisse doesn't yeah. need to be some mega scorer, but he needs to be a better role player because he's just not doing much of anything for him right now offensively. All right, let's talk about Daryl Morey and what he has ahead of him here this offseason. Uriah, obviously the Sixers are somewhat limited in what they can do financially. They have the James Harden contract to deal with, whether he opts in or signs an extension or whatever. And they have the Tobias Harris contract still on the books. There's been a lot of talk about whether or not Tobias will be with the team next year. But looking at it right now, looking at his difficulties, what do you think Daryl is going to have to face and do to improve this team next year? The, I mean, the low-hanging fruit, as Lucas would say, as uh, going after another star, trying to figure out what to do to, um, I guess, buffer against another offensive collapse like we had against Miami in crunch time. So instead of talking about going after Beal, I, I think solidifying the bench is going to be the key. And then doing so, knowing that the financial flexibility will not be there because of all the contracts that the Sixers are dishing out, 30 million plus. I'm thinking maybe a backup point guard. I'm looking at Dennis Schroeder might be available. Patrick Beverly, I don't I don't know about that guy. I know some people like his defense. I think Harrison Barnes, if we could pry him away from Sacramento somehow, would be a nice bench bench player, better than Niang. I love Niang's uh, three-point shot in the regular season, but he completely was a liability in the playoffs, and I think Harrison Barnes could uh, be a nice addition. Uh, but what do you think his priorities would be? Yeah, um, I, I agree. The main goal is probably going to end up being flushing out the bench. Danny being hurt and probably out for the year is a major issue, whether he's back with the team or not. He just That's like one less rotational player, and they don't have many of those right now. Um, toughness, mental toughness, guys who can compete really hard on defense, who can rebound, wings and forwards with size, who can also shoot and defend. Like Those are the kinds of players you need. The Sixers don't have a lot of two-way players outside of their top four right now. That's something that needs to change. Look, if you can swap Tobias Harris for Zach Levine or Bradley Beal, I'm all for it. There are some potential issues that pop up with playing three smaller guards and stuff, and it makes it harder to flush out the rotation depth-wise if you're paying for megastars like that. Levine is going to make like an average of $40 million a year on his next contract if he leaves Chicago, but if you can do that, you do it because those guys are awesome players. Um, but in all likelihood... Sixers aren't going to get Zach Levine. They aren't going to get Bradley Beal. They're probably going to keep Tobias Harris unless there's because there's just no one who's lining up to trade for Tobias Harris. It would be a salary dump, and that doesn't really benefit Philly unless they can really nail down a couple of important free agents, which is no guarantee. So the focus is going to be on the bench. That's going to mean drafting well, which Daryl has done so far in his time with the team. You know, you look at Maxi at 21, you look at Paul Reed, Charles Bassey, Isaiah Joe, those guys in the second round. He's drafted really well. He's gotten rotation-level pieces in the 50s, and that's if he can continue doing that, that's going to help quite a bit. If he can sign the right veteran minimum guys, Philly is a team that can compete for a championship. Vets are going to want to come play here. Hopefully they're better than DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap <laughs> this time around. 
but yeah, I mean, he's going to have to do a lot with a little is basically yeah. what it is because he doesn't have a lot of flexibility. And if he can make that flexibility, if he can get Harden to sign for less money and he can get rid of Tobias and he can convince a big name or two to come, that's awesome. But I don't think we can bank on that happening. So he's going to have to be creative, maybe use the Danny Green contract to get another rotation player, maybe trade the 23rd pick if they end up having it and Brooklyn defers. Those are the kinds of things we're going to have to watch out for. And Moore is a really creative guy. You know, mm-hmm. say what you want about his team building philosophy. He's a guy who takes big swings and he gets creative. So I'm pretty confident that he will do something this offseason. The Sixers clearly are not quite where they need to be as currently constructed. They're pretty close. Again, I, there's every reason for optimism, but they need to get bigger and stronger in the second unit. And I, I think that's something Maury can accomplish. He just has to be creative about it. So let's let's talk about Doc now, Uriah. Do we He's have probably... to? <laughs> I put it on there. What am I talking about? All right, um, <laughs> He's probably still going to be here. Mm. We keep hearing about the Lakers, but Every time we hear about the Lakers, someone plugged in in Philly is like, that's not happening. So oh. odds are Doc Rivers is still going to be the head coach. If that's the case, what does he need to pr- improve on next season? I think two things. One, he has to figure out, and I believe Harden will be back. James Harden will be back in the Sixers uniform Whatever happened in that series with Miami that made Harden in the post-conference say uh, next question when they asked him about Doc Rivers, they need to figure out like what what's going on there and move past that. So he has to figure out a way to get James to buy into whatever offense he's going to be teaching these players next year. If Shake Milton is here, who's on a really team-friendly deal, he's only making $1.9 million next season. That's the end of his contract. I, I think Shake Milton could be a solid, dependable role player. And I don't think he gave him much of an opportunity, uh, and Lucas and I talked about this last week, to, to really cook, to really show what he can do. He, he showed us in multiple playoff games when – the season was on the line that he can step up when, when he's needed, when nobody else is effective, Shake Milton stepped up. Thibault is just a role player. We know what he's going to give you, but I think uh, Shake can, can be an offensive option on a second unit. Cork Miles, mm-hmm. I think is done. His confidence is shot. Yeah. You know, I have no idea if they're going to trade him and, you know, salary filler or what have you. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, Figuring out James Harden and then the Shake Milton conundrum. Like, how's Doc going to get him get him rolling? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Obviously, with Shake, I and you're right. They need to lean into him as a pretty key piece of that team. He was the best bench player in the playoffs for Philly by a pretty wide margin, I thought. Again, Sixers just don't have enough guys who can play both sides of the ball. Shake isn't some brilliant defender, but he's long and he's sort of athletic and he can like feign competence on the defensive end, which is not something Furkan Korkmaz can do, not something George Niang can do. Thibault only plays one side of the ball in the opposite sense. (laughs) Shake's one of the few guys who can do it on both sides of the ball and he can create for himself every now and then attack closeouts. That's something Philly needs more of, so I agree. Leaning in on Shake Milton, another guy who can play both sides of the ball would be Isaiah Joe. I would hope that he gets some time to really carve out a role next season or get at least the chance to. We saw him in pretty brief stints last year. Uh, never really popped off the screen, but like Doc just didn't give him enough of a chance to do anything. Then he's like, again, maybe the best perimeter defender in the bench group if Thibault's starting again next year. So we need to see more of Isaiah Joe, I think. Giving a guy like Charles Bassey a chance to carve out playing time could be interesting. I hope Doc lets the young guys play at the end yeah. of the day. That's always been his weak point. Like, Furkan is under contract and he's part of the team. He's going to probably be there if he doesn't get traded for something. But, like, 
what's the benefit of playing Furkan over Isaiah Joe? Yeah. Why, why is that happening? What are we getting out of that as a team? Now, if Furkan comes back and he's shooting 45% from three and he is playing the best, like that changes things. But Furkan shot 29% from three last year. That's the only thing he does well. And we hardly ever saw Isaiah Joe. There's yeah. no reason for that. Um, so, yeah, if the Sixers draft a guy at 23, I hope that we see him get some playing time. I'm still buying all the real estate on Jane Springer Island. I don't know if we can expect anything from him next season, but Jaden Springer Island. What? I, I will continue to How do you even get there? It's what kind of boat? Are you like rowing a boat out there? What? Yeah, you gotta you gotta take the canoe. <laughs> um Hey, wear a life jacket, by the way. Yeah, it's some choppy water. <laughs> yeah. But I you know, I'm confident that that will go up mm. in price over the years um i would i would say joe has an upside his shot is so pretty man i love watching him shoot when he did get limited playing time there were i don't know he, he's so i guess he's still raw he still looks like he needs more time to make mistakes to learn his role and and figure out what he's going to be doing in the nba i was listening to um a podcast actually i was listening to uh who was it vlad tv he was interviewing gilbert arenas and gilbert arenas was talking about how when he first entered the nba that the toughest thing for him was figuring out what he could do because you go from being the best collegiate player or one of the top players in college you come into the nba and everybody's faster stronger and more seasoned. So when you're young, you're like, what am I good at? What do I, where do I fit in? How do I help the team? I think Isaiah Joe is trying to figure that out. If he's going to make that leap next year, that could only benefit the Sixers as, as a whole. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing with Joe though, I agree. He like, there are some confidence issues maybe on offensively every now and then, but role wise, he took 10, 11 threes a game in Arkansas. And that's mm-hmm. what the Sixers need him to do is come into the game and chuck threes. And he's a great spot-up shooter. That's always been his talent since college. And that, that's what the Sixers need him to do. And defensively, he's pretty polished. And yeah, he knows how to make some nice plays. Yeah. He guards well. That wasn't necessarily – like that's something he's improved on since Arkansas. Or he's doing better than anyone would have expected coming out of the draft. So, again, they just don't have two-way players. Three and D wings are like the, yeah. you know, like the crown jewel in the NBA these days. And Joe has the tools to be a pretty good three and D bench player. And the Sixers didn't play him. I would argue, though. I would argue, though, if, if you compare him to a lot of other young players coming out of college, it's usually the other way around. The guy, guys can drive the lane, finish at the rim, but are poor shooters. Because he is the reverse of that, where his game is strong from the outside in. My thing is, why limit yourself? If you, if the opposing team knows you can shoot and you're shooting with confidence and you're contributing in that manner to the Sixers' offense, why not still try to drive the lane? I don't think he should limit himself, in my, in my opinion. But if Doc says, yeah. oh, I want, I'm rele- relegating you to the perimeter, then, hey, that's his team. But from what I see, from what I've seen, I, I think he can do a little more than shoot. Yeah, I mean, you, you never want to limit a guy's potential. But at the same time, this is a team with Joel Embiid, James Harden, and Tyrese Maxey. Mm. We spent all season yelling at Tobias to do less. <laughs> so sometimes you need guys who can just come in and fill a very specific role. That's part of the – like, again, going back to Thibault, that's part of the issue is he doesn't need to be a big scorer. He doesn't need to drive. He doesn't need to do a lot. But he just needs to hit threes. Right. Isaiah Joe, if he comes in and averages 10 threes per 36 minutes and hits 35 to 40% of them, he's going to be an awesome player next to Joel and next to James because those are guys who are going to get the most out of him. So if he is willing to buy into that role, which he is, that's the role he's always played, then you should be able to get a good amount out of him. So hopefully Doc, going back to Doc, allows Isaiah Joe in the last year of his rookie contract before he hits free agency gives him an actual chance to make an impact on the team because if he doesn't 
someone's going to sign him for really cheap next year and he's going to be in the rotation and everyone's going to be pissed off. So it's time to give Isaiah Cho a shot before yeah. it's too late. The final topic tonight is going to be about the current uh, series still going on in the NBA. We have the conference finals going on. Uh, currently, as we are broadcasting, we have the Heat versus the Celtics. And in the third quarter, the Celtics are up 67-58. Looks like uh, Tatum's doing his thing. Al Horford is leading <laughs> leading the Celtics in scoring. Uh, that ticks me off. But anyway, uh, Jimmy Butler, nine points, three for 12. Looks like that injury is hampering him a little bit. So just give me uh, what's your overall thought about that series. It's tied 2-2 currently. Yeah, it seems like a series that Boston should win. We'll mm-hmm. see what ultimately happens here in Game 5. Again, it's halftime, or it's the end of the third quarter, pardon me, and Boston's up 7. Um, if Boston's up 3-2 going back home, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that the Celtics would be favored to win the series. Um I think Boston's the better team. They have six or seven really, really good defenders, and they're probably the best defensive team we've seen in the past five, ten years. They're up there. They're just an absurdly gifted and prolific defensive team. They can switch all five positions. They can play a ton of different types of coverage on defense. And like you said, Al Horford is stepping up in a big way. Tatum is a star. He's established himself as like a top ten superstar level player Robert Williams was a defensive player of the year in some people's minds Marcus Smart actually won defensive player of the year Jalen Brown we know what he does Derek White is a starting level player and a really good defender Grant Williams would probably start for a lot of teams and he plays both sides of the ball well Peyton Pritchard has played well like it's just a really good team with eight really really solid playoff players so Nothing against Miami, also a very good team. But as you mentioned, Jimmy has been hurt. I, I hope people don't watch these past few games and start writing off Jimmy as like crumbling in the playoffs or whatever. Because before the injury, he was probably the best player in the playoffs this year. Well, Jimmy's clearly. been awesome. Clearly, you know? yeah. So I, I hope people, if it continues to go in this direction, don't slam Jimmy too hard because that's something that we as a basketball conversation society tend to do is we tend to like make grand sweeping statements about players who get eliminated from the playoffs. And we'll talk about the math series, but anyone who's like out on Luka Doncic after getting beaten five or six games in the conference finals in his fourth NBA season is probably taking it a bit too far. (laughs) So (laughs) Boston should win this series. I think there's, a good chance they won the finals if they get there. They're a really good team. Mm. So, yeah. I am still healing <laughs> from getting eliminated. I haven't really watched much playoff basketball. Like I said, I'm, I'm just still disappointed. But looking at the box score, you mentioned some great players. And all I see, Chris, is a bunch of what ifs. What if the Sixers would have taken Jason Tatum over – Markel Fultz? What if the Sixers would have taken Jalen Brown over Ben Simmons? What if Jimmy would have stayed? So it's it's just painful just to see all so, these players. I uh, want to oh, throw oh. some cold water on the Tatum owners. Right. Because it just seems like from reporting at the time, Boston probably would have taken him number one if Philly didn't make the trade. Like, it really? seems like he was their guy. I, mm. I could be wrong. I'm obviously not in the room. Mm. But I don't think they make that trade unless they mm-hmm. prefer Tatum. You know? Yeah, well, like I said, it, if if it goes seven games, maybe I'll watch game seven. I'll definitely watch the finals, though, whether it's it's probably going to be Golden State, and it'll probably be the last real opportunity for uh, Steph to – actually, you know what, maybe not, because they got some young guy players mm-hmm. coming up. Yeah, I mean, they'll yeah. be right back here next year yeah. if they're healthy. But whether it's Boston, Golden State, or Golden State, Miami, that would be a really good series to watch. And speaking of Golden State, tell me what you're thinking about the Mavs Warrior series right now. Yeah, again, clearly Dallas is not a better team than Golden State yet. Luka has had some rougher nights than normal. Andrew Wiggins has done a great job on him, but 
anyone who's like writing off Luka Doncic after this series needs to uh, rethink how they're evaluating things. Like, this is a team that should not be in the conference finals. Jalen Brunson is great, but him and Dorian Finney-Smith being like the number two and three guys on a team that is in the conference finals, it's kind of wild. Uh, Luka has been absurd this entire postseason. He's already one of the best offensive players we've seen in the past 20 years. Like That guy is just going to keep getting better, and Dallas is going to keep getting better. They're going to add more pieces around him. That like Every Dallas fan should be over the moon with where this team is at. So Golden State, on the other hand, one of the best teams we've seen ever at their peak. They're not quite there yet or quite there anymore maybe, but Steph is Steph. It's one of the best point guards we've ever seen. Clay is starting to look more and more like himself every now and then. Draymond's one of the best defenders we've ever seen. And like you said, the young guys keep stepping up. Mm-hmm. Kuminga and Moses Moody, who were both lottery picks last year, just had a big game in game four, even though they lost. Jordan Poole looks like a star on the rise. Um, Wiggins <laughs> playing great basketball. Mm, that Looney, dunk, that dunk was yeah, pretty insane. It was insane. <laughs> and Kevon Looney's playing great basketball. Like they have a lot of good, solid role players around Steph and around Draymond and Clay. And guys are going to keep getting better. <laughs> so yeah. that's a team that's really making the transition from one era to the next about as smooth as you can make it. They have another guy who was drafted second overall who we haven't seen in a year. Who knows what James Wiseman is going to do, mm. but he could still be someone. I forgot and he's on the team. So they got plenty to be excited about in Golden State. I, I think if we're placing bets right now, they're probably the favorites to win it all. Uh, they've had some sloppy moments and Boston is a team that can in Miami are teams that really punish sloppy basketball. So I don't want to write off either one of those guys if they make it out of the East, but Steph Curry and Draymond, those guys have been on that stage before and Steph, it's important to hammer home how awesome Steph is. He can get kind of lost in the shuffle with a lot of the new guys, but Steph is still really good and one of the best we've ever seen and a guy who can dominate the game without even touching the ball. So, yeah, Golden State's awesome. I don't think this is a bad look for Dallas or anything, even if they had gotten swept. I I think every takeaway from that team should be positive moving forward. So, yeah, yeah, I I think Golden State's awesome, and I think Dallas is in a really good spot long term. As they say, Steph is going to Steph. That dude is a complete Hall of Famer, even before he his jersey gets retired. But I, I want to talk about Dallas and their roster. You mentioned earlier these guys that are playing with Luka. It reminds me of the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to give you a roster. You probably have no idea who these players are, but I'll do my best to describe them. Of course, you had LeBron James, who was only in his third year. He led a team of almost nobodies and has-beens against one of the greatest dynasties ever, the San Antonio Spurs. Here's some players that LeBron James basically dragged to the to the finals the way that Lucas dragging Dallas. We have uh, Anderson Verajao who was in his second year, who was more known for his hair than his basketball play. Eric Snow, yeah. former Sixer, was long in the tooth at that point. Daniel Marshall had cobwebs in his armpits. He was that old. Uh, Damon Jones, Ilgoskis, nice center, but he was... Ilgoskis uh, was like my favorite 2K player in middle school. So <laughs> I'm going to need you to show respect. All right. He was 7'3". That's the respect I'll give him. <laughs> Larry Hughes, former Sixer. Drew Gooden was his power forward. And uh, LeBron had Daniel Booby Gibson, a rookie from Texas. This is this is the misfits that he put on his back. And they got swept, obviously, against San Antonio. But to your point about Dallas, look, they had, if you're a Dallas fan, you guys are sitting pretty right now because you have arguably the best, most entertaining uh, Swiss Army knife in the entire league, Luka Doncic, and a really bunch of second round picks and players who are undrafted that are complementary players. And it's really up to Mark Cuban to figure out how he can maximize 
that team with the strengths that Luca brings to the table. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to like completely strip away credit from the rest of the guys. They're like Dorian Finney Smith is one of the best defenders in the NBA. And obviously Jalen Brunson is going to get a massive contract this summer. I love Jalen Brunson. I wish he was on the Sixers. Yeah. Like they have a lot of really rock solid complimentary pieces, but Mm -hmm. they just don't have another star next to Luca. Yeah. And if they get one this summer, like obviously the big name everyone's going to go to is Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. If they could get Zach Levine in a sign and trade or something somehow, if they could convince someone like that to go to Dallas, then they're going to be in even better position next season to compete for a championship. So, and like you said, like Dallas fans should be sitting pretty comfortable. And mm-hmm. that's like one of the really frustrating parts about Philly not being able to put quite the winner that they need to around Joel is like all those other guys, Luca, Jokic, Giannis, Tatum, they've all been to the conference finals or further. And we're still waiting for, for Joel to get there. So hopefully that happens next season. We can keep our fingers crossed, but Dallas is awesome. Luca's awesome. He's already one of the five best players in the NBA in his mm. fourth season. Like absolutely he's off the chain. So, yeah, Dallas fans should be pretty freaking happy with where that team is right now. All right. To all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to the Six or Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Audible. Or you can listen at our website, thesixersense.com. We are on Twitter at Six or Sense. We are also on Facebook at Six or Sense. Follow us there. And until early next week, peace out, everyone, and go Sixers. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.